Hello, film fans. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Today marks the start of our brand new miniseries, From Stage to Screen. Each episode will delve deep into film adaptations of Broadway musicals to show how film and theater can work together in harmony. To kick off the show, we have a very special guest, Wicked's original Broadway cast member, Michelle Federer, has joined us to talk about tradition, social commentary, and topol in the 1971 classic, Fiddler on the Roof. All right, this is the first episode of our brand new miniseries, From Stage to Screen. We're talking all about film adaptations of Broadway musicals. We've got a great lineup for you guys. For the inaugural episode, Michelle Federer has joined us and has chosen Fiddler on the Roof. Really great pick. I uh, just want to know quickly why you chose the movie and what your relationship is to the show. Um, hi, Josh. The very first movie that came to my head was Fiddler on the Roof. You know, I really, I can't remember the first time I saw it. I bet I was a kid, but I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I had no real access to theater, to Broadway. So when I saw something, if it came on TV and Fiddler played on television, it was so riveting to me and just a glimpse into the world that I was hoping to be in, had no idea how to get there. So Fiddler has always, always been one of my favorite movie musicals and really my one of my favorite stage musicals as well. I love that it caught you at such a young age because I feel like that's one of the beauties of theater and how intimate and glamorous shows can be. I mean, I, I was attached to theater immediately also when I was about six or seven. I was, I was into the producers and Little Shop and Grease and all of those. Why do you think that theater has the power to do that? I feel like it's a medium that caters to so many age groups because it has the power to tell certain stories and can be flashy and entertaining and engaging, which is great when you're young. But there's a lot of subtext and substance in shows that you may not get immediately. How does theater have the power to do that, do you think? Theater's been around for over 2,000 years because people communicate through stories. And we learn about ourselves through stories. And we learn about other people and we learn how we're connected to other people through stories. So when we see something that's done really, really well, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know how grabbed we would be if it was like a terrible production. We might be grabbed, right? <laughs> yeah. but if it's done really, really well, it gives you the freedom to go into your imagination because nothing's taking you out, right? You believe everything, which is one of the most basic things. You have to believe what's going on in front of you, you know? Mm -hmm. If you believe it, you can buy in and your own personal connection or your own imagination, whatever, what have you, is ignited. You know, from for me, I was like you, I was like seven years old. And it wasn't, I don't remember loving theater because I 
because I saw something. It was because my parents put me in a class because I was a little bit crazy, I was a little <laughs> bit naughty. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they thought, well, maybe, maybe a drama class, you know? And I remember we did an improv, like we're seven, right? But the teacher was like, pretend you just found a penny in a sewer, right? And suddenly I'm seeing, I'm seeing it, right? Like, like my, for me, my imagination and everything else went away and I liked being in an imaginary world. And that's what I still love about theater. I absolutely love when I don't remember where I am. Don't you love that? Yeah, I always the loved best. I always loved getting lost in the imagination, but also the energy of shows. Like when when I first saw Grease when I was seven yeah. and John Travolta was dancing in Grease Lightning, my life was changed. I was like, that is the exact <laughs> type of energy that I have all the time, and I want to exert that. That's so funny. And then, you know, it it sends you down the rabbit hole of, okay, this is a film, but how is this done in reality? And I feel like, you know, film, there's the setup and such tight structure, which theater has too, but the wall is broken and you're in the space with the actors. And it makes it so much more rich of an experience, I feel. Absolutely. Which is why I think theater has lasted since, you know, the Greeks. It's probably been before that, but certainly on record with the Greeks, because you're right, having a communal experience I mean, people have gathered around fires forever and ever and ever. It's, it's, there's something about a ritual. There's something about tradition. And there's something about having a collective experience with a group of people that is, it, it will, I don't think it'll ever lose its power, which is why I have hope for the theater during this time of our pandemic. Yeah. That's why I feel we need Broadway more than ever now because we're so hungry for human interaction. We've obviously been in quarantine for so long and want to have an actual experience with someone that turning to Broadway kind of seems like the logical response. I feel like we're all hungry for that and the best way to feed that hunger is to discuss some of the more popular movie musicals. Yeah, And and Fiddler is so interesting to me because I obviously knew about the show, but I didn't have as close of a relationship with it as I did other shows. I I honestly, I didn't actually see it fully until a few years ago when a summer workshop that I had done for many summers put on a full production of it. And then I obviously watched the film in preparation for this. So you're saying you you saw it on stage first? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, I saw the film first. Okay. And I didn't realize what the story was or how dark the message actually is. For something like like the movie to come out in the 70s, the message seems very out there, and I admire it for taking that risk. The same obviously goes for the show, because it wants to hammer in that message. Absolutely. You know, Cabaret is made around the same time. Mm-hmm. And if you think about film from the 70s, it was... You know, that's sort of like Scorsese and, right, right? Like there's some power that's starting to build. And, and I have a feeling there are things coming together. And, and one of the elements that's coming together is a different style of acting, a much more, well, honest, I think. And, you know, internal, just less is more, I think starts coming up at that time. And so... I mean, to me, the acting in in the film version of Fiddler is 
I have to say, Josh, every time I've watched this film, I cry from like the depths <laughs> of uh-huh. my soul. And I watched it again in prep for this. And I could not believe how much it cracks me open. And mm-hmm. I know the story. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it cracks me open like very few other shows do. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it's kind of perfect. Oh, no. Now I've said <laughs> Now <laughs> it's it's say it <laughs> say it early we got it out in the open it's fine we can move I on mean, like, I don't know if the film is perfect but mm-hmm. there's something about that story and the way it's crafted that right. just holds up and holds up yeah I, I feel like it came out at the perfect time like you said it's the era of you know modernist filmmaking is becoming more prevalent and the movie brats are getting a lot of attention and when you watch this movie it seems like an epic that United Artists made because of their musical background, but it had the tone and ending of a more independent film from that era, like Five Easy Pieces or Taxi Driver. Maybe not on the same level, but it has the feeling. I mean, it's directed by Norman Jewison, who was known for Moonstruck and In the Heat of the Night, and you can kind of tell, like, in the performances, which we can talk about forever. Yeah. But before we do, I need to pose a quick question. I'm always curious as to what we can learn from a movie, and there are many messages and Fiddler to discuss later on. But I, but I want to know, what do you feel like this movie, from its place in pop culture and theater history, what can it say about us as moviegoers? Because this is one of the more popular musicals. Obviously, it's produced all over the world, in high schools, and community theater. It's been revived on Broadway so many times. Everyone knows the songs. It's clearly very successful. So what can we learn about ourselves from this show and, and the movie? Well, just technically, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage, right? So it's very well written. It's seamless the way that the book and the libretto work together because it's character driven. It has these huge themes to it, but they're told through fully developed characters. Like time is taken to get to know this family, right? Mm-hmm. And the Tevia and his relationship to each one of his children and his wife and then his town and his God and the time he's living in, that I just think there's so many universal themes and that the craftsmanship of the whole shebang <laughs> is just so, it's so excellent to me. That's why... People do it over and over and over again, mm-hmm. right? Because it works. Right. But I think that, like I said, there's like mm-hmm. a ripple effect of, of the themes in this film and of this story, which is this love of God, this love of family, right? But then there's the oppression. Some of it is about prejudice. And people, you know, when people are prejudiced, when there's an oppressive system, they lump everybody together. And so we're seeing individuals. We're seeing an individual story. And anytime you see human beings that you recognize, you are pulled in. Mm-hmm. And Norman Jewison just nails it. Like his his camera work with close-ups. Oh, I mean, Josh, yeah. to me, the fact that Sunrise, Sunset, Havala. Oh, God, that's all right. <laughs> Havala 
Anatevka are in voiceover and you're just seeing people's faces and they're not singing, right? Like it's so moving and it's moving on stage, but you really get intimate Mm -hmm. with these characters by hearing their innermost thoughts. It's like so private. It kills me. What's interesting about this movie is it's so intimate, but audiences can escape to a world they're not totally familiar with. You know, obviously, this movie takes place in 20th century Russia, which is a setting and culture that not many mainstream audiences are accustomed to seeing on screen. Yeah. But you see these characters in the first act and figure out what their wants and desires are. You get attached to them. And then in the second act, when the idea of the revolution comes in and pushing these people out of Anatevka, it makes mm-hmm. it so much more powerful. And I think that's a great way to get a message across and make a film as relevant as it can be by introducing an unknown world, mm-hmm. then realizing you're getting sucked in. Then by the end, you're shocked at what's happening. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Right, you learn about a culture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're immersed in a culture that may not be your culture, but it's so, first of all, it's like, it's so detailed mm-hmm. and it's so respected. Again, it's just, I mean, that's, ugh, whatever. Yeah. It's, it becomes, <laughs> you start to recognize yourself even if you're not Jewish, if you even if you're not, it's not 1905. You right. Mm-hmm. The power of theater and good film is that we remember that we belong to each other. Absolutely, that's what it reminds us of. The end. <laughs> Done with the podcast. <laughs> that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> well, with that, let's get into the critical breakdown. You started talking about it earlier. I think what really carries this movie for me as a first-time viewing is the performances. I mean, Tevya at this point is an, an iconic musical theater character and his relationship with each of his daughters and his wife, Golda. And I think that Topol is just incredible here in this role. And there was even controversy when he took it on because Zero Mostel had originated the role and everyone was against it. Like, why don't you have him? And I honestly, I can't see anyone else killing this role like he did. I mean, the only other person in my mind that might be able to live up to that is Alfred Molina, who played him in the 2004 revival. There's such a physicality to him, and he's such a joyful person and is so connected to the epicenter of this culture and just explodes off the screen. And yet, you totally buy it. He's not too big. I'm fascinated with actors who are able to do that, who have the energy that you would have on stage but somehow it's reined in enough, it's controlled enough that it still translates on film. Mm -hmm. That fascinates me. You're right. The joy and his, the optimism, the irrepressible nature of his curiosity. And, you know, he fights change, but he actually doesn't fight Mm -hmm. it that hard, right? Because he's just driven by love. (laughs) He's like such a mush with his kids. Yeah. Oh, God, I want him as a dad. I have the best dad in the world, but I was like, oh, yeah. what if Tavia was my dad? I mean, I get crazy when I watch this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's in almost every scene, so you're just immediately drawn to him. He has so much to do and so much to say. I mean, he's basically the protagonist and the narrator at the same time. Yeah. Like how he breaks the fourth wall in the beginning with tradition, which is an amazing scene that introduces you to the layout of Anatevka. 
and again, an interesting choice to not have anyone singing until the end, which is when he sings the final chorus of tradition, like alone when he's with his horse, which which I didn't realize that choice was made because you know I was expecting everyone to be in on it because I'm so used to musicals just doing that. But you get the lay of the land and his relationship with everybody, and he says to the guy like, "The horse was actually twelve years old." Like that's so funny. Right. That's great. Right. I love it. And he's so mischievous, mm-hmm. right? Like he looks at the camera and then he's like, he goes and whispers it to Laser. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's like, <laughs> like he's like, watch yeah. this. Like he's just so generous. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like Norman Jewison was so in tune with his actors because many of them didn't didn't have much experience. But the woman playing Zidal. She freaks me out how good she is. She's uh-huh. just so vulnerable and so relaxed, right? Like mm-hmm. they're so relaxed. Like I think you could tell that they felt really taken care of and that they were all in they were all in the same world. This is another reason why I think this movie is so fantastic. Look, there are some things about it where I was like, "Huh?" What was that? <laughs> but we'll get to that. In well, a- yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that a bit. But I was talking to my husband about this because he knows I have like, I'm a, little, I'm a little bit crazy about Filler on the Roof. So mm-hmm. I was saying the extras in this film, the background characters are amazing. And then I was watching the credits and it says, thank you to these people in these there were like these small villages in Yugoslavia. And I was like, of course. He was so careful. Norman Jewison was so careful to keep people in the same world. And I almost feel like he may have seen people from this area first. I'm totally making this up. But from top to bottom, everybody is in the exact same world and experiencing the same cold the same fear, the same joy, right? And all in their own individual ways, but they are all in that town. <laughs> and there's nobody messing up the verisimilitude, like in the background, like there's mm-hmm. nobody messing that up. Everybody is there. And that is hard to do. In theater, it's easier to do that with an original cast Mm-hmm. Because you hear the ideas of all of the different departments coming together. Like for Wicked, we were filled in in a way that no other cast gets. And so you can all be a part of the exact same thing at the same time. Like I'll never forget the costume designer saying to us, we were all like in costume for the first time or something in the opening number. And she said, I want, I want you to look at yourselves. You're all the color of bruises. Ooh. And it was like, oh, right. <laughs> but all of us heard that and it did something to all of us that made us an ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a true ensemble in this film. What's cool is that even like anyone who just has like one job to do in the background, you can tell they are doing it like, this is my objective. I have to go there and do this. And it makes everyone feel, like you said, more of an ensemble. Everyone's connected 
and has a relationship with one another. You can even see it like in like you know in the bar scene or in the wedding. And yeah, again, and, and it's just it's a small group of people relatively, but they all feel like individual characters, yeah. which is again just makes it feel more complete and more whole as a as a right. culture and as a world. I'm I'm thinking about the close-ups of people's faces during Anatevka. Mm-hmm. And you can tell like some of them were actors and some of them I don't think are. <laughs> Did you get that impression? No, I and, was And I don't mean I don't mean like I can tell they're not actors. I just mm-hmm. mean they're so authentic that I was like I think that might be a Yugoslavian villager. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? Uh, yeah, no, I, I do agree. When I was, like, even during, like, yeah, Sunrise, Sunset, or Anatevka, yeah, everyone just kind of fits in. And it yeah. does feel, no one feels out of place. Yeah. And each shot, like, is framed in such a way to show you the correct amount of people that you need to, or yes. that it's all intentional. And, I mean, the cinematography for this movie was uh, fantastic and won the Academy Award for it. And that is definitely a a top-notch thing that I can give to this movie is that, like, it looks fantastic. Yeah. You know, in some of the older, like, Hollywood movie musicals, where all of a sudden it'll, it'll, the camera will pull out and you're just watching a dance sequence, Mm -hmm. right? Where here, it stayed on the action of the story. And so like in the wedding, even the bottle dance and stuff, you're actually only seeing three dancers, Mm -hmm. right? And they're moving in and out of the frame because the story is not about the dancers. That's happening at a wedding. right? So the focus is still, this is how these people celebrate a wedding and it's the tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So I just loved that. And cabaret is very much like that. Mm-hmm. That's how cabaret shoots the dancing. But then, if there's something like West Side Story, you want to see the you want the camera to pull out, right? West Side Story thrives on wide shots. This is very different from that. Yeah. And uh, it's I'm glad you brought up uh, the choreography because I feel like that's one of the even more iconic things of this movie or like of this show in general is there are movements that are attributed to this show, like in the wedding when they do like the, right, the clap. Right. And, and the bottle dance. Heavy. The bottle right. dance is incredible. It's so long, but you're just like, how can they top it? And they get down on their knees and then they're walking together. And it's like, it, it's almost like, it's it's almost intense. You're just like, what are they going to... Like the first I time I saw it, like at the on stage, I was like, I didn't know that that was a thing. And when they did it, I was like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it blows you away. Yeah. I know. It's very rich in culture and um, not American culture, right? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think the bottle dance... Aren't those the Russians performing it? No, no. I thought that... No, that was... Those are the... Um, the Jews are performing it, mm-hmm. but the Russians perform another dance. Right, right? in so the you're bar. Seeing, right, so you're seeing... Oh, yeah, Lakhaim. Yeah. So you're seeing that. Like, yeah. It's just beautiful. Takes me to another place. To Lahayim to life is like one of my favorites because it's like, can we bring back just random dancing in a bar? Like, like everyone's united <laughs> and like just break into a dance. Like that'd be so great. Like, <laughs> so my husband Norbert Leo Butts was mm-hmm. in the most recent revival of My Fair Lady mm-hmm. at Lincoln Center, and 
get me to the church on time is this huge, just let's just have a huge dance break in a bar. Yeah. And it was thrilling. It would like stop the show every night. I kind of loved it. And I'm like, I kind of don't, I'm not like, I am a fan of maybe the darker, more book heavy musicals than I am like a splashy. I'm not like huge into that. Uh-huh. But again, My Fair Lady has such a great book and such beautiful. It's again, it's like so well crafted that when you get to a big dance in a bar, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It builds up to it. Like there are um, yeah, there are plenty of moments to just be with the characters and understand the story and musical yeah. numbers that feel just between two other people. Like I love what they did with Matchmaker in <sighs> in the movie. It's so funny. Because I mean, that's the that's the kind of the focal point of the story of you know Tevia and his relationship with God, and then his um, the tradition of the matchmaker pairing uh, yeah. the young daughters together with men who they believe are fit for the family. And this is the "I want" song. You know, they are hoping for you know someone good, but what's her Zidal is like. Oh, how about how about we focus on everything the matchmaker's done that maybe wasn't the best decision? And it's right. so funny. <laughs> like right. he'll beat you every night, right? Yeah. But only when he's sober. <laughs> so you're all right. <laughs> yes, the dog brigade has begun. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. But what's interesting is the singing really suffers mm-hmm. in that song. They're actually a li- slightly out of tune. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Like, you know, in a musical on the stage on Broadway, you wouldn't hear that. Like that wouldn't fly, do you know? Mm-hmm. And when the music is so good and then to hear it sung really well, that's thrilling. Yeah. But I have to say, I liked the action of the film version of Matchmaker better than I've seen it on stage because mm-hmm. they could they could do more with their everyday life and like the action the the daily life action just keeps going and then when you see the three sisters on the bed and they're they're like getting dressed for dinner and they're in their bloomers and like that shot and you just see their their knee socks and their boots and they're just laying there like it's just so beautiful it captures captures how young they are (laughs) right and how they Mm -hmm. have to think about this and how scary it is and funny it is and it's just so fantastic but it's not sung that well no that is i mean there are moments when there's a lot of movie musicals like that where you kind of look and like you're like they're they're clearly either lip syncing or just it's just sounds so different than it would if a traditional broadway singer were doing that matchmaker is a is a big example as much as I do love to life Lahayam, there are some moments where it's like, like especially when, um, what's the Russian guy's name? What's his character's name? I wrote them all down. <laughs> so, but when, but when he does it and enters in and starts dancing with Tevye, there are some yeah. scenes where you, some moments uh, where you're like, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I mean, like, there's some limitations with that that I can like oversee, uh, even though I, I can still be sucked in. If the it. if the acting's good, mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah, like really, I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah, how that. I am with a musical too, like on Broadway or mm-hmm. in a theater. I'll take acting over singing any day. Oh, absolutely. Definitely agree. Well, I've always thought too that like if you can portray the character and if the voice fits the character yeah. and it may not be the most classical or 
um, straight song. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> side tangent, my favorite example of that, I mean, my favorite show is Next to Normal. So when I hear Alice Ripley do that, I'm like, she's not, she doesn't have the most technically five-star voice, but it fits the part because she's such a damaged character. And I, yeah. I can't hear anyone else do that. But then there was like, did you happen to see Ben Platt in Dear Evan Hansen? I didn't see him. I saw an understudy, which I'm grateful for because, look, I'm fine with Ben Platt. I don't love his voice, though, personally. Stop it. Um, no. <laughs> it. Stop. We're going to have a fight. Josh, <laughs> you and I are having a fight. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the fight has begun. He's great. In, he is a perfect performer. He's a great performer. I just His voice never personally did it for me. That's just me, though. We can't talk about that. <laughs> Can't talk about this. Okay. okay. I love that show. Let's though. Move that show on. is incredible. Yeah. But see, you know what? I don't love that show. I loved his performance mm-hmm. and some of the storyline. But like, it's funny when I listen to the recording, I'm like, I fast forward, I fast forward, I skip. Like, there's a lot of songs that I'm like, well, that's annoying. I, I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a few songs I want to hear. And there was like, that super tense storyline with him and peripheral stuff. I didn't want to, I, it, it lost me. So gotcha. technically I don't think it's the best show out there. Like in Fiddler on the Roof, <laughs> I'm never skipping. That's fair. Like That's I'm in, fair. I'm in. That's fair. I, I won't fight you on Thank that. you. Okay. Um, but uh, Matchmaker is immediately followed by If I Were a Rich Man, which I feel like is the most famous <sighs> song from the show. And it is just like, how could you not just be so pumped up and loving everything he does? Because it's cool that he is able to so move beautiful. from like two layers in the shack and really use the space. And I, I mean, one of my favorite parts of the movie in general is just when he does talk to God and that you feel that relationship and how yeah. he's questioning what God is doing, but he's not saying he's wrong necessarily. Like he's still so loyal good. to him, but he is like critical. And but I, if in, you know, in uh, the God of, Abraham and Isaac mm-hmm. is a God that can be questioned. So right. it makes complete sense. It's exactly mm-hmm. that. That's like the whole thing, right? Is you sit in the temple and you study and you question, you ask mm-hmm. a zillion questions, but again, while well, it's the action keeps moving, mm-hmm. he has to do his daily activities. So now it's time to feed the animals, but his irrepressible, imagination and his search for something fantastic is so alive in him that even when he's feeding the animals and doing this like mundane thing that he does every single day, he's still able to dream. And you wish that he could, uh, or when you hear that, because it's so in the beginning of the show, you are hopeful that maybe he'll achieve something like that by the end. And in the end, it's uh, almost the exact opposite which again makes it more heartbreaking. One of the things that I don't love this movie, but it is still very, very good. Don't get me wrong. First of all, I have to say one note in in, in here is that is Laser Wolf in all capitals because that's the coolest character name like ever. Laser Wolf. That's so awesome. (laughs) Laser Wolf. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have Tevya, Seidel, Golda, and Laser Wolf. Like that's amazing. Um, (laughs) 
And, yeah. But I wasn't aware that the movie was three hours long. I was actually kind of surprised because of when it came out. It also had an intermission and an on-track. And so it adds up. And in terms of the directing, you know, we talked about how it looks great and the way that they use the actions to propel the scene. There are times where I feel that the dialogue is a little slow. Like there's a lot of breaks in between when people talk. Hmm. And it makes the scenes kind of go on for a little bit longer. But I'm interested in what characters are saying. It's just at times there's like, I feel like they could go a little bit quicker. Or it like goes like really fast. Like in the the Taylor model comes oil is just like escalates so fast. And it's like, oh my God. So (laughs) what I would say, if I'm going to be a critic about it, the bizarre jump cuts to the um, Jewish imagery in the beginning of tradition. It's like, Mm and every time there's a downbeat, it was like, Torah, Jewish weird symbol. Yeah. (laughs) Like, cup. (laughs) Like, it was (laughs) like, not good. It was, I'm sorry, it was not good. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, there's two other things where I was like, what is happening? which I love the song, Wonder of Wonder, Miracle of Miracles, right? Mm-hmm. But the whole thing starts with a, sh- a shot of a birch tree trunk and it just like pans kind of like off center a little bit. Yeah. Pans a birch tree trunk and then cuts to them like singing in a field and mm-hmm. it kind of ends with like this weird shot of a birch tree again. I didn't get it. I was like, I'm not smart enough for this one. I don't get this, but that's what? <laughs> I I don't have an answer. I thought it was weird too. I mean, I just yeah. thought it was very it odd that whole, that whole scene takes place in a meadow somewhere. Yeah, it was really weird. What's cool about that scene on stage is that it, you know, it's, it's right after they ask. So they're yeah. in the same place. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Not, the scene doesn't, the set doesn't change. It's just, right. it's, Tevia leaves, so it's just model and Seidel. Yeah. And when I saw it, what was cool is, you know, model just kept like jumping on various parts of the set. So he was on the fence and yeah, he was on yeah, the bench. Yeah. And then it's like, like, that's cool. That's what I love about theater. Yeah. But they needed to do it like, okay, we got to find some place for them to be alone. It's like, it just feels, it just feels a lot. I, yeah, it just feels out of place. <laughs> this feels a little weird. Uh, that and then the Fruma Sarah dream. I was like, what is happening with the terrible makeup? And it was like a thriller video, right? Didn't you think you were in thriller for a second? Mm -hmm. It was like the 70s just like came crashing in. But I Mm -hmm. have to be honest, I don't like that scene in the theater. It always irritates me. I don't either. I I definitely agree. It feels, yeah, that's definitely the 70s coming in where it's like, okay, we need the really big set piece. And I mean, that like... I, I get what that scene's trying to accomplish because they have to establish that he, that, you know, Tevia has to come up with this excuse as to why he broke off the arrangement and why it's fine for Seidel and Model to, to be together. I understand that, but I, I don't really love that song. Yeah. And the way that they go about it is just like, it loses, like, you're more focused on the action and what is happening than what the scene is actually trying to yeah. accomplish. As a but- the other way around. I, I did think the scene before when they're in bed and he wait and he pretends to scream and was mm-hmm. like fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it was then, <laughs> yeah, uh, it definitely took me out. Like 
She had like purple eyeshadow all over her eyes. <laughs> like, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. You got to make everyone look like a ghost and then just like scare them so they jump onto the bed in a grave and it's like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> this is like turned into Beetlejuice all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just not, it, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything yeah. else does, in my opinion. My only other uh, critique that like I that jumped out to me and I and the songs that kind of accompany the story in it make up for it. I, I just feel that's uh, so like the whole thing is like each like of the three main daughters find someone that they fall in love with and have to convince Tevia that they want to be together and for his blessing. And after a while, like I I've always loved Zidal and Model. I think that's a great relationship. I like the idea of. Perchik, like he's a good character, he brings in this outsider's point of view and kind of just disrupts the tradition of it. Yeah. But I honestly kind of forgot about them. And then I completely forgot about Hava and I did too. Fiet, what's uh, Fiedka, Fiedka. And so when they started asking, I was like, it just kind of became the same three scenes after a while. And yeah. they all three of those scenes happened the have the same structure. They go and ask. One of them is a little nervous. They don't get the blessing. Yeah. And then Tevye has the inner monologue. And then he's like 50 feet away from them yeah. and then comes back. It, it just yeah. felt it felt kind of uh, repetitive to me. Formulaic to you? Formulaic, yeah. I know what you mean. I totally forgot about Hava as well. And the stakes of her asking are so high. Actually, mm-hmm. the stakes of Zidal as well. I feel... Actually, I think Hoddle is the one that's a little like just sandwiched in the middle there, you know, with the slight difference of I'm not asking permission, I'm asking for your blessing. But Zidal's the one who's truly like breaking rank. And it was it was torture for her. Like you could just see. And mm-hmm. then also for Hava, she thought it was gonna go well for her because it went well for her sisters, and then it's just so brutal. Yeah, you know? it's so gut wrenching for the parents too. And I, I, it's a, I'm able to at least sidestep that criticism because of the two scenes, the one at the end with Hava, and that he doesn't acknowledge her, and then he says, "And God be with you." That was like a really great, great moment, and the song uh, "Far from the Home" that I I know is beautiful. Far from my home, I love. Yeah, which is yeah. is beautiful and just. Oh my God! When he puts her on the train. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Stop. It's, it's so good. Much. It's too much. And when he's, oh God, when Golda, when she finds him in the field and she says, Hava um, got married. Mm-hmm. And he says, married. And then he says, go. I have work to do. You have work to do. And then she goes, Havala. She calls her by her like little girl name. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't even <laughs> talk about it. I can't even talk about it. Then they go into that little, there's like a dance that happens between the sisters. Do you know what I'm talking about? During the song he's singing about. Oh, yes. Kabbalah, yes. Mm-hmm. It's a like a, a vision. Yeah. It's great. I buy it until the fiddler comes in. The fiddler always took me out as well. Did the fiddler take you out? I Yeah. I always thought the fiddler. Like, like it, just stay on the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay on the roof. It's in the title, right? <laughs> you got one job, damn it. Stay on the um, <laughs> roof. Don't, don't dance like kind of elf, like an elf. 
Yeah. Like a little bit. I <laughs> Please, I feel like it's sacrilege to say that, but... Well, I mean, I kind of agree just because he always has this smug look on his face. Like, he has this mischievous right. look, and I'm just like, you bastard, get out of here. Like, like it's just... I know. Yeah. I know, I, I definitely agree. And I and I like that, that visual representation of, you know, his yeah. vision. Like, that's, that's good. And then, yeah, then the Fiddler uh, comes in. And also, I, I want to say that the... This movie seems to be like I was I was worried at first because it had been a couple years since I had seen it on stage if I was going if I had forgotten like big moments of it. But this movie is very faithful to um to the adaptation as um or to the original stage musical. There's only like yeah. a couple songs I think that are taken out, but the main story of it, like none of it, none of it was really drastically changed. Yeah. There's some, you know, scholars of it who say that the portrayal of certain characters are like a little bit different. Uh, yeah. I was, I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the hardest part or is the biggest challenge of adapting something from stage to screen, whether that be with Fiddler or really any movie? Because obviously there are countless examples of where it works and where it, may not as work as well. What do you feel like is the, yeah. is the biggest challenge? I think on a stage, if someone breaks into song, just because we're farther away from them, we maybe buy it more. But if someone breaks into song up close in our face, it's harder to accept, which again goes back to why I like that they actually don't sing and you hear it as a, a voiceover in a lot of it. They're just so, they're so different, right? Yeah. The stage and the screen, it's just so different. I, I do think singing is sometimes sacrificed. For this adaptation though, I, I feel like they nailed it. I feel like they just created that world so beautifully. And in a theater, you have to create that world with lights and sound and the set and the costumes. And you have to, do that as well in film, but they also picked a spot in Europe that just evokes the time period so well, you know? So it's kind of like that work was done. Obviously they built sets and all of the other elements. I don't know. What do you think? Why do you think it's so hard? My favorite moments in really any piece of theater involve stillness. I, I think there's so much power to be had in a character just standing on stage singing the most like emotional song. Like what's cool about Far From the Home I Love is that it's just two people sitting on a bench and on stage, you're doing nothing but listening to them because you're there with them and you feel so close. And, you know, you can speak volumes without actually moving sometimes. You know, you use the space in certain ways and you're also confined. Whereas with film, we expect to be able to go outside of that and have more possibilities. We're also more, you know, receptive to movement in film. We want, and that was, and I am, you know, I had this mindset when I was watching it. There were times where I felt that, it's a very still movie. A lot of the film is shot on tripod with some, you know, movement. Whereas today, it's all about the camera movement. So they they kind of had to comp they compensate for that. Uh, I feel, and that's kind of where the differences of the two mediums come into place. But if you have actors who are willing to just exert the energy given to something that involves movement, even though when they aren't actually really doing a whole lot, it can mm -hmm. still suck you in. And I feel. 
that that also just comes with having good actors and yeah. having people who understand the source material. Yeah. And also that you like you said the sets, like everything in the movie looks authentic and looks like it's a like you're there. Yeah, they shot on location. They did mm-hmm. that on purpose. Like you can see the sky and how the time of day changes and mm-hmm. just you know everything about that just adds to it. So like everyone says film is a visual medium, which is I don't really subscribe to that, but they do have their differences. I love stillness in theater and some musicals like something like Les Mis tried to embrace that with just the steady cam or just like, you know, a shot of Anne Hathaway when she's doing I Dreamed a Dream. It doesn't feel the same. You know, it feels it feels different. That's so funny because to me, the only moment I liked in Les Mis, the film, that most recent film, was that. I like that. Don't get I me wrong. I'm just dream. saying it, it feels it feels very different than what you would normally it, yeah. it just feels different. Um yeah. yeah, she's fantastic in that for sure. It just is it just it just feels different, you know, especially in films and epic musicals, like just big grand scale. We want this kind of energy moving through the camera. And so I I don't know. I there's challenges to it, but it's a feat that is worth taking, I feel. Yeah. So you're talking about energy, which is a really fascinating thing. Like if you're an actor and you're on stage, you have to have a certain amount of energy and you have to have a lot of endurance when you go in front of a camera you actually you actually have to still yourself so much mm-hmm. and you have to relax much more than you need to relax on stage i don't know uh, some of them just don't work at all for me but <laughs> this one i think works in both well i think also this one has like a very structured story to it yeah. Like as much as I love Rent, that show is meant to be on stage because it feels more vignette than it is a three-act structure. Oh my Whereas- God, that movie. Norv and I were watching it the other day. We were like, <laughs> I actually was cast in that. Oh, really? And yes, what they did was, you know, the, um, will I lose my dignity? That, that group, mm-hmm. the support group, they cast a New York cast and they cast a San Francisco cast. And depending on the weather, the San Francisco cast was like cast A and New York cast was cast B, like the backup. So if it it was something like if it rained in San Francisco, <laughs> something bizarre like that, then we would get to shoot. And for some reason, the weather in New York was not what they needed. Uh-huh. And I, I have no idea why. It was like, we just waited. We were just like on call. So we had like all of our prep and we just, we learned everything and we just kind of waited. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's so it strange. Really, it was really weird. All yeah. your scenes take place inside too. Like- <laughs> Correct. I know. I was watching it. We, we just happened to catch it. And I was like, wait a minute. Everybody's inside. Why did they do that? It's so strange. So I got to go and like learn it all and, you know, have all my fittings and all of that stuff, which was fun. Um, but I didn't get to do it. But like, like I was saying, that that show is more moved by the emotion that's in the music and the characters with each other. But like the story itself is is a little, it's not as structured as well, this, which has you know what, Josh, it's an opera. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. operas don't work in film because I was mm-hmm. thinking about Evita, and I was like, that doesn't work. Les Mis is an opera. If you have a book scene, I think you have a much better chance of your musical working on film. 
Don't you think? Like, if you really think back, like Sweeney Todd, I do not think that works on film. There's something about having something that has to be sung the whole the whole time. The amount of energy that's needed to sustain that, you know, and part of the thrill of watching Sweeney Todd or whatever is just the sheer like force of musical talent that's coming at you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you don't I don't want to see somebody's fancy film work. Like I I don't want to. I want to listen to Sondheim lyrics right. and mm-hmm. watch George Hearn's like huge chest, like breathe, yeah. you know, and scare the pants off of me. I mean, I've always been, I'm, and Sully can attest to this, I'm such a dialogue snob. Like it's what I love about movies. And, you know, that's one thing that I always try and like look for in movies. And, but what's cool about some movie musicals is we're, like when I first saw Les Mis, the movie was the first thing I saw of the show. I didn't have any other way of seeing it. So I didn't know that it was sung all the way through. And I'm so used to having dialogue scenes break up the songs. So I think if it's like fairly balanced, and if the, but if the music's really good, like if I can get sucked into the music, then I'm like, but like I wish I saw Les Mis on stage at first. Like I wish that was my first way of seeing it because that's yeah, sure. it, it feels more it feels more authentic. But if yeah, if you have a good book and have a you know great scenes in between the songs, it could make it a little bit easier for the adaptation on film because I feel like that's what we're more used to, maybe. And you do have a point that it's it's definitely tough to and going back to that rent adaptation again, what's interesting is that they took sung lyrics and made them into dialogue, but then the dialogue actually ended up rhyming and it just sounds so weird. Stop. Everybody stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we won't we won't talk about it anymore. I just wanted to bring that up for that point. On the opera to movie point, how much of the spectacle of a musical do you think is lost when it's switched to the film medium? Because I haven't seen a lot of Broadway shows, but the biggest part to me and what makes me enjoy it the most is just that feeling of, you know, me and this this like 200 to 300 people in this theater, we are the only people that are ever going to see this one specific performance. Mm, and it, it really cool. helps you connect to the story mm-hmm. and and the actors and what's going on. And I, I don't feel that when I'm watching a movie. So like, mm-hmm. like, do you feel like that that spectacle and personal element to it is lost? Yeah, but then like, then I think about something like Moulin Rouge and I felt like that was so much spectacle in the film, but that was a film first, mm-hmm. right? And I loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Like I loved it. And the thing is, I didn't care about the singing in that, but I did because it was so, it was so thrilling to watch it. Yeah. That's interesting. And I've, and I have no desire to see it on stage. Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like I might've, like I've already seen it because they Mm -hmm. did that film. They did it so well. And maybe because it was a film first and they just, that's how we all saw it. Right. Mm -hmm. At first. So I wonder if there's something to like the originality of it all then. Maybe. Like, is it is it just like not worth it to adapt musicals onto screen? Like should we just be doing original things in that format or or is it important no, to No, I think it's important. But I think you have to be selective. Oh god, I'm about to say something and I don't know if I really think this, but I'm going to throw it out there. There are more films that are turned into musicals that are like 
shut up. Like, I want to shoot myself. Thank you. Right? Yeah, Josh talks about this all the time. I've been saying that for the past, like, five years. I hate it. It drives right? me crazy. <laughs> but it's much, it's much more expensive to make a film. Right. And so they're going to be more selective in the musical that they take to turn into a film, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're more thoughtful about it. So there's maybe there's less clunkers. I feel like, I mean, also it has to do with the popularity of the show and, you know, where it was at the time. Like, I'm sure Hamilton will become a film, right? Yeah, and I've never been, like, I'm fine. Like, when a a musical adaptation of a, or a film adaptation of a musical is coming out, like, I'm like, oh, I'm curious to see what they will do. Because I feel like Mm -hmm. with things like that, I feel like there has to be at least somewhat of a reason to be like, Mm -hmm. are they going to change something? Because you have to adapt it. You can't just take... You can't just do the show on screen. It's not going to feel the same. You have to, you know, change it for the medium and cut the fat and kind of change it uh, around to work as a film. And that's obviously difficult. Some of those musicals that are based off of movies, you're just doing it so you can wait for the scene that you love from the film. Like if they ever do a Ferris Bueller's Day Off musical, like everyone's just going to be waiting for when he sings Twist and Shout. And then everything after that is just like... And then I will... Vomit. Yeah. Um, Josh. <laughs> yes. I think the films that are, sorry, the musicals that are picked to make into films, the best musicals get made into films, right? Mm-hmm. So meaning the ones that the craftsmanship is top notch, right? So even mm-hmm. if it's like a different style, but like Hairspray is a really well crafted musical, right? Cabaret is an incredibly well-crafted written musical. And even Evita or whatever that might not be like your taste, but you can't deny that it's, it's tried and true. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think to turn a musical into a film, it has to be of a certain caliber to even attempt that. And I think some of the attempts are fails but like I said in the very beginning, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. Like it has to be a good, it has to be a good source material. Actors can mess it up. Directors can mess it up, whatever. But if you're reading it, you go, oh, that's good. But for a movie to turn into a musical, what? Like not, you read them and you're like, what? No. <laughs> Yeah. I've done my fair share of like workshops where I'm like, stop it. What is happening? Is everybody deaf and blind and de- like what's going on? <laughs> and I don't think that's a matter of taste. Mm-hmm. Like I really think they stink. In that setting, you're all artists working towards the same thing and have similar experiences to where you can recognize if something is like worth it or not. So that opinion I feel is yeah, valid. Well, well that, yeah. Well that, you know, usually it's the cast, like I'm trying to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. That's what right. it feels like where you're like, I'm trying to make this work because, yeah. because it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't say Sweeney Todd doesn't work. You can no, mess think- it up on yeah. film. But on paper, it works. It's brilliant. I, I love Sweeney Todd so much. But 
Back to Fiddler real quick. I think the only way for us to talk about the ending of this movie is if we just go headstrong into the analyze section because there's so many... You're afraid you're going to cry. <laughs> Are you saving face? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so let's go to analyze this. There's a lot of themes in this movie. There's a lot of very interesting themes. And I mean, the the most apparent one I feel is like given to you right at the beginning of the show. This idea of tradition. You know, these people have had certain values upheld and have stuck to them for generation upon generation. And when any modicum of change comes in, it seems drastic. So when Perchik shows up, that's a great scene because it's this outside mindset coming into it. You know, he's the stranger in a strange land in that scene. And I understand why Tevia goes through the emotions that he does when he has to bless his three daughters into marriage because of how there's change in each one of those. So immediately with Zeidel and Model, they're they're going against every single marriage that has come before them because they chose to be together and they blew off an arrangement that was already in place. Like that is a that is a drastic change. To add to that, it's dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. These traditions, the laws, have kept this group of people safe and they've been able to survive by following these traditions, right? They've always been oppressed. They've always been hunted down. I wrote this down. Tevia says, with tradition, a, a man knows who he is and he knows what God expects of him. So to have a really clear rule to follow actually helps people survive, right? So I think when his children come to him and start breaking tradition, there is an ego part. I'm the papa. I'm supposed to have the final say, right? There's the ego, but there's also the danger of what will happen to my children if they don't live in the same town as me. Mm -hmm. They become more vulnerable. The Jews are being rounded up right now. Like he knows that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like the stakes of breaking tradition is what makes this musical, this is why people do it all the time. Because when Mm -hmm. you really get in touch with the stakes of that, it's life and death. And it is, you know, when you see the rebellion that Perchik goes in, fights up against the general in in Kiev, and then that's why Hoddle has to go, like, that makes that scene so much more emotionally impactful is because you understand what she is doing is, like, life-threatening. Yes. And let alone just sending your child away to an unknown country, to to an right. unknown country where there is clear and present danger happening yeah. is horrifying for any parent. I love that when that they that they do that, that they show him fighting against and it, it just makes it so much more, you know. But at heavy. least Jack is Jewish. He's one of their kind. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's, you know, this through line in Jewish culture about learning and education. So Tevye even says, he's a good man. He's, you know, he's smart. He, right. He's a thinker. So there's something that they can latch onto that's familiar where they could 
eventually Tevia could give that blessing. But I feel like with Fietka, who's not of their kind, and he's Russian, he's like one of the oppressors, mm-hmm. it's it's too much, right? It's right. so dangerous for mm-hmm. Hava to be with him. And it's so dangerous for them to accept him. Yeah. Like, what would happen? Right. You flash forward to World War II. If Fietka was a part of their family, maybe it would save them, or maybe he'd be tortured and then they'd be tortured. You know, like, it's, mm-hmm. it's so dangerous. And he is, he has to protect this tribe. He has right. to. Have you. You know, this movie came out in 1971. You know, World War II was still very, very fresh in everyone's minds. Absolutely. And having a movie just all centered around the Jewish culture and seeing that these people have these values and that there's no way that you could ever think that they deserve whatever kind of oppression that they that awaits them at the end of this movie. Like, when they leave, you don't know where they're going. And it's scary. Like, it's honestly, like, it's actually very, it's heartbreaking to see them just walk away. And when I saw it on stage, I, I didn't know that that was the ending. So I thought there was going to be, like, this scene at the end where it's like, okay, they're leaving the village and then they're going to go to, you know, location X and they settle down. It's like, well, this isn't our home, but we have to get used to it. And then it's going to be like this kind of happy ending. But then they go off stage and then the lights come up and the theme starts playing and everyone's bowing. And I was just baffled. I was like, what? That's that's it? Oh my God. Wow. I didn't realize how, dare I say, ballsy that this musical was the first time I I saw it. Yeah. And it's so real. That's what happened. You know, there are people who deny that the Holocaust happened. There are people that there are deniers out there. And to, you know, it's just an act of here's a story. This is a true story. It's a fictionalized, but it's based on a pogrom that happened in 1905 in Russia. Mm -hmm. And it's just the precursor to what's coming. I think that's what just tears me up is it's Mm -hmm. a precursor to the Holocaust. Yeah. It's like foreshadowing to the Holocaust. And it's also like it, the idea of it is that just because world war two was over and you know, the Holocaust had passed doesn't mean that a, it was an isolated incident or that the chance of it, it could, it happened before and it could possibly happen again. Like that's horrifying. And it's a harsh reality that we, we can't be, can't be blind to that. And I mean, I think that's another great theme in the movie is that this idea of, along with tradition, is ignorance. And we tend to accept what we are comfortable with. And sometimes it's hard to accept change. And being able to grapple with that and deal with that. And we'd like to sometimes stay within our own bubbles. And so when Perchik comes in, it's this, you know, that's, that's, that is a change. I and mean, even when at, at the wedding, when they start dancing with one another, with the, um, with their respective partners, like that's great. And everyone around them is like, what is happening? But you're like, no, they're actually accepting the change. Mm-hmm. And then immediately after that, the demonstration comes in and they destroy the wedding. But that, that I feel is a, a, a relevant theme that we see over and over again in films that, you can't hammer in home because we have a severe ignorance problem in yeah. in our world today. And just everyone wanting to stay in their own little bubble of comfortability and not being able to really break out of that is can lead to some horrifying outcomes. Yeah. And I, I there there are countless movies 
that deal with that theme. And I I don't feel like that's a theme that can ever be stated enough because we need to understand that that is a problem. Right. I I actually wrote growing pains, you know, permission versus a blessing that there's, there's growing pain. That's what Tevi is doing. He's having these growing pains throughout the entire film. He's evolving as his children evolve because he loves them. Mm-hmm. And I love that he talks to God as like God, a father. He says to God, oh God, I might not be able to say it without crying. But he says to God, when Hoddle gets on the train, look after her and see that she dresses warm. Yeah. It just kills me, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's so intimate with God, like the way he's intimate with his children. It's like one and the same to him, that relationship. And it's what helps him survive. It's what helps them all survive is that is that faith and tradition and culture. And then when people are ignorant about it, it's, tra- it's a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting to see his character arc throughout the story because I, at first I wasn't 100% sure how he was going to end up, like where his character was going to be at the end because I thought... For some, this was the one thing that I realized that the the movie kind of jogged my memory on. I thought that he was more just kind of stayed upset and against Hava at the end. But when he says, and God be with you, that was like, oh, okay. He doesn't like the growing pains, but he has to be able to accept that and watch her and watch her go. Like that was a really great character moment for him. He can't, he can't fight the love he has for his kids. Right. He just can't. Mm-hmm. Like that will always win. Right? They just like crack him in two. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like the parallel to that scene that we talked about earlier when he finds out that uh, Hava is married. He's like, she's dead to us. We'll never see her again. And then has that vision. It's like, as much as you try and shut them out, they're your family and you can't ever, um, you're never going to be able to, to get rid of them because they're part of who you are. And he finally realizes that at the end. I will say though, the ending, the one thing I don't like about the ending and it has nothing to do with the story, watching them go down the dirt road and then the fiddlers behind them is a great great image. And then it's quiet and you just hear the theme. And then this bright music pops in with the end. It's like, yeah, great adventure. <laughs> like what? Like it was just they such a switch. They don't they don't seem to yeah. I feel like that was pretty common though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it ends on the big musical number, like the moment of like just overbloated bright music and the end, you know, and you'd feel like that would be more accompanied with a, you know, a happier story. But at the end, it doesn't it doesn't uh, take away from the uh, the impact of it in any way. I just thought it was kind of funny. It was just like, whoa, Um, (laughs) I have to tell you, it's kind of a crazy story. It's embarrassing, but it's it just connects with this movie. Like I've said, I've always loved Fiddler on the Roof. There was a revival of it, not this past one with the Israeli choreographer. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that one. There was one before that. So not the one they did in Yiddish, but the one that was like 2016? Well, there was a Yiddish one. There was Mm -hmm. a Yiddish one. Then there was one that was like pretty recent. I think Danny Burstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there was Mm -hmm. one before that, okay? Okay. And I had many callbacks for it and did not get it. And I was like crushed, okay? (laughs) Like really, really crushed. And not connected to that, but this is like 
personal, but funny, I'm fine with it. But I had started to feel like depressed. And I was like, maybe I should take an antidepressant. So I went to this doctor and he was like, you know, sometimes there's adjustments that you need to do. And I was like, okay, by the way, his name was Dr. Bluestein. <laughs> and he, anytime he diagnosed something, he shut his eyes. So he'd be like, I think you're depressed. And his eyes would be shut. And I would be like, <laughs> <laughs> like just wow. watching like, so what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And it always, it always made me laugh even though Mm -hmm. I was depressed, but every time I was like, yes, it's so weird. I love it. (laughs) Anyway, he was the doctor and he was just very odd. So he gave me these pills, right? So I'm like slowly, I'm not like a pill taker at all. So I was like very sensitive to it. And I took this antidepressant and Fiddler on the Roof happens to be on TV. And when I tell you something broke inside of me, I could not stop crying. I cried for like three days straight. I wish I, I, I should be Tevia's daughter. Like it was like, it was real. Like I was mourning the fact that I was never in Fiddler. I was mourning Fiddler itself. Like it was so intense and so crazy. And finally Norbert was like, are you still crying about Fiddler on the Roof? And I was like, you don't understand when you get a bottle on the train. And I'm crying, like for real crying. And finally he was like, do you think this has anything to do with the antidepressants? And I was like, I don't know. It was like, why don't you call the doctor? And I told him, I was like, I can't stop crying about Fiddler on the Roof. I should have been Jewish. I'm not Jewish, but I know I'm Jewish somewhere deep in my soul. It's really weird. Okay. And so I go in to see Dr. Bluestein and he was like, I think it's the wrong dosage. Eyes shut. <laughs> he adjusted the dosage and my mourning over Fiddler and not being Jewish was resolved. But it became center of depression mm-hmm. was Fiddler on the Roof. And my husband, so every time I watch it, he's like, are you okay? Are you going to be okay when you're watching? I'm like, yes, that was like a thing. That was like a <laughs> Although when I was watching it, I, I'm telling you, it was like, I cried maybe five or six times during this film. It's just so mm-hmm. moving to me. But I did have like a weird episode with Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. So it's a little tricky for me. <laughs> well, I mean, little do you know, whenever Norbert's watching Catch Me If You Can, he's crying when Hangrad he can't yeah. catch Leo oh Capra in that first scene. I always yeah. cry. I always that. But you know what? I felt like that was a successful transfer from movie to musical. It's so different. It's so it's classical. Different. It's very, yeah. It's It's random, but it's very interesting the way they did that. Yeah. I would never expect them to do a movie. Some of it was successful. Some of it was not. Mm-hmm. Some of it I would definitely was like, like bored, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But for the most part, um, did you see it? Have no, I it? found out about it after the fact. Oh my God. Do yourself a favor and YouTube Norbert doing Breaking All the Rules. Oh, I've seen that many times. <laughs> like Dancing it's- Otter. Right? Doesn't he look yeah. like a dancing otter? Well, it's I always thought I was just shocked at his energy. 
he has like in every single role. Like when I saw it, I saw the uh, the My Fair Lady performance on the Tonys, and when he's just jumping around the stage, I was like, "What? Uh, this is crazy! Like it's insane that he has that much energy in a role, and it's it's amazing." We call our daughter Half Butts because she has <laughs> so much energy, and I'm like, imagine if she was full butts because mm-hmm. all oh, my brothers and sisters have that <laughs> yeah. energy, and I'm like, oh my god. If she was full of butts, I wouldn't be able to take it. But she's half butts, and she just keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he's that's like a a freak thing. That's so funny. I love it. All right, so to to round all of this out, uh, like we said, we've we've talked so much about this in every detail as probably we possibly could. But we got to answer the big question: Why do we love this movie, and how does it add to our love of film? And I can I'll, I can adapt this for you if, if you if you want you can either say if you how it adds to your love of film or theater um, whichever you prefer if you want to do both that's fine but I mean you have a very strong emotional connection to this movie and it's honestly it's inspiring to 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 see and to hear you talk about it but how does this movie like what do you want to get out of art like how is this a good representation of that for you Whoa how, what do I want to get out of art. That's a huge question. We answer to the big questions here on Frankly, okay, I Love Movies. Josh. Um, <laughs> it circles back to how we started. I think it transports me. It sounds strange that I would want to be in Russia in 1905 during a pogrom, but it transports me to a place that I feel invested in, specifically the film. Although I have to say the the musical on stage does the same to me. I love when art creates an atmosphere. So I love when I'm reading a novel and there's something about the environment, the way an environment is described that pulls me in and my imagination just goes crazy. And by the same, on the flip side, it'll turn me off immediately. If I am like, if I don't get the environment or I don't connect to it somehow, I'm out, right? And I feel that way with paintings, and I feel that way about theater and film. And it was interesting, Josh, to watch. I don't think I've ever watched Fiddler as a film. I think I've always watched it as a musical. Mm -hmm. And so I loved becoming more conscious and aware of the camera work and how Norman Jewison was crafting, editing, framing the story because it really honed in on Tevia and this love of his family and this pull in him between this love and these traditions that have kept them all safe. And I just felt like it's so beautifully illustrated. It's kind of elusive, isn't it? And mm-hmm. everybody transported by different things, but I do think that it's crafted so well that it probably has a better shot at transporting more people than not. And I really, really appreciate that about this piece, whether it's on film or in the theater. Did that answer anything? Yeah, no, that was that was a fantastic answer. <laughs> no, that's great. I definitely, I agree. I was, um, I was there. Like when I was watching, you were just there with with every character, and 
what I always take away from this movie, like a big thing is that I love when you can clearly see actors just relishing in the scenery and the source material and their characters because every actor in that movie is giving 110% and they nail it. And I lo- like that to me, they carry the movie more than the explicit story of it, which is still good. But the just their performances and their charisma and chemistry with one another, you know, bounces off the screen. And I, I really love that. And like I said, the ending um, totally surprised me. And I love movies that do this, that have the bleaker ending to get the message across more. Like it, it hits you harder. Like I love when movies do that. But I had never seen a, a musical do that. So when I saw the stage performance of it, I didn't know that that's how it ended. And even like my favorite shows like like Next to Normal or Rent, they have emotional moments, but they all, they end, you know, somewhat hopefully. Like Next to Normal, as dark as that show is, ends on a brighter note. And, and this movie, as a classic example of the golden age of um, musical theater, doesn't do that. And I love that they took that risk and that yeah. it actually still pays off. And it's like the main reason that I think this is a great yeah. musical. My favorite musicals don't don't try to wrap things up in a bow either. Like Cabaret, mm-hmm. it's like that too. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh my God, I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And you just you kind of have to sit with it. And that is just, a, again, it's a great example of how I feel like there's always been somewhat of a divide between theater and film. And the whole main reason we're doing this series is that like, you know, I've I've been told so many times by professors in film school of that like, you can't have too much dialogue or, you know, it's gonna, it turns into theater and we're doing film, not theater. But there's, they work so well in, in tandem with one another in so many different ways in that, you know, that you can adapt it to film and, uh, and it can still work. And the message can still be clear, and just everything about the piece still pops. Yeah, you gotta have people who can handle dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Like Norbert just showed me the film Shadowlands. Have you ever oh. seen that? I have not. It's based on a C.S. Lewis. It's based on C.S. Lewis writings, mm-hmm. and then it was made into a play, and it's a film starring Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger. And it's all talking. It is riveting, heartbreaking, but these people can handle language, right? So you just get people who can handle language and write all you want. I mean, go for it. And and you know what? You can also have movies that are just visually stunning and tell the story that way. They don't have to cancel each other out. They can just be a different kind of movie, right? They they can both exist in this world. You just have to choose what kind of film you're making. My people talk in this film. (laughs) So I have to to hire actors who really handle language well. And there's so many people like, you know, Laura Linney, right? Like you think about her, like she's a theater beast. Mm -hmm. And then you see her on film. Like there are people who do that. So yeah, you don't, don't limit Mm-hmm. Just pick what you're doing and say what you're doing, right? Do you think Hamilton ends on a sad note? That's an interesting question. I mean, because it ends with his death, that in and of itself is sad, but it's more reflective. And yeah. I like that it. the last song poses that question, who lives, who dies, who tells your story? How are you going to be remembered? Who is going to tell? And what's hopeful in that musical for me 
is the fact that Eliza comes back and says, I put myself back in the narrative and mm-hmm. I did this and I did this. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, Josh. I do not want to see that on film. I don't either. It breaks my rule of it's an opera. Mm-hmm. What I love, Hamilton was the best thing I've ever seen, hands down. I saw mm-hmm. the original cast. Best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, so hands down. I've mm-hmm. never seen anything like that. I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. In terms of all of the elements of theater coming together in one cohesive, super masterful, heightened story, mm-hmm. a production, unbelievable. But what I loved, there's no set. There's nothing. It's all created with, with the words and the music and these bodies and these actors. I do not want to see it literalized. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't want to see Hamilton like walking down the streets of New York City, like the sets of like old timey New York. Like that's going to be so irritating, right? It's to me, it was that these words, it's like watching Shakespeare, it was like these words paint it all. And once you act, yourself to the speed with which everyone's talking you're soaring mm-hmm. and you don't even like i think i think it's literally like a staircase and a bridge and a turntable yeah there's nothing on the stage it's very minimalist yeah which is beautiful and again it leaves so much to your imagination right that's why Miz was lame the film too it's- <laughs> but the thing about a movie is it reaches more people yeah, so true. if, you know, you want more people to see Hamilton, be exposed to Hamilton, then you got to make a movie, right? I just right. hope they have a good taste about it. Do you have any other final thoughts on Fiddler by chance? <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof is the saddest <laughs> musical in the world, and I love it for that reason. I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was an amazing conversation. This was a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you. I, I had a great time. And you know what? Honestly, it was it was nice to get out of the lockdown mentality of everything being the same all the time and just talk to someone I've never met before <laughs> about something we love. Mm-hmm. So thank you. It was like really a nice change. All right, that does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies from Stage to Screen. We want to give a huge thank you to our special guest, Michelle Federer, for taking the time to talk with us. She was absolutely lovely. In addition to her stage credits of Wicked and Three Days of Rain, you can check her out on such shows as The Defenders, New Amsterdam, and the up-and-coming new Netflix series, Hit and Run. Also be sure to check out Ravnik Avengers, Orion Valley Productions' very own Real Play D&D podcast. Their second season is underway with a new episode out this Thursday, June 18th, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to check us out on social media, be sure to go follow us on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram at JoshVelJosh21 for all new and exciting updates on what's going on in my life. Finally, in two weeks, be sure to come back to hear Broadway's own Stacey Morgan Lewis and I talk about one of the best movie musicals ever made, West Side Story. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.